0: Welcome to Textile Update, the podcast where we can share our passion for textiles, fibers, and yarns. This is Gwendolyn Hustvent. This is the first of three podcast episodes where I'm going to look at the non-yarn fabrication... (laughs) fabrication methods. Uh, These would be ways we can make textiles without actually making yarns first. So skip the spinning. I'm going to start this episode on non-yarn fabrication methods by doing what I like to do anytime I start an episode where I talk about textiles, and that is to think about the history. Uh, So in fact, I've talked to you about how we can see evidence of different uh, textile-related activities in the archaeological record, uh, fossilized examples of twisted yarns or reconstructions of the misnamed Venus de Milo, uh, who turns out to be a weavis, a, weaving, a goddess of weaving instead of a goddess of love. But of course, uh, we can also see that non-yarn fabrics are Evident and present in uh, ancient cultures as well. One example, there are several examples that have descended uh, across time. I've already talked a bit about felting when I talked about wool. But I've never actually talked yet about tapa cloth. I have an example of a tapa cloth in my office and uh, it's actually in my lab. I need to get it reframed uh, and uh, so that the glass got cracked when I moved and uh, I need to get a new piece of glass put on it. But um, if you look up Tapa Cloth online, you'll see that uh, these are very carefully peeled pieces of thin bark from large trees that produce uh, bark Of course, bark is made from cellulose. Uh, They produce the bark in sheets that are almost like paper. And so, uh, yeah, why spin if you have a handy tree in your neighborhood that's going to donate large sheets that are almost like paper? Of course, the tapa cloth uh, does not have resiliency, uh, doesn't have pliability either. And so if you fold it, it will stay wrinkled and it can break if you fold it too much. As a result, uh, many cultures that use this type of uh, fabric will use it for ceremonial purposes. And uh, you could see, uh, for example, in the in the home of a of a civic leader in one of these cultures uh, might be referred to as a chief or a, a, a chiefess, and uh, you'll see the the tapa cloths are actually standing, kind of in rolled tubes in the corner, ready to be wrapped around the body with their often symbolic paintings uh, on the surface of the, the, basically of the textile. Uh, Of course, I mentioned felt, and we can see that felt is something that uh, uh, civilizations coming out of the Middle East, where uh, sheep come from, would have been uh, making felt um, as soon as sheep were domesticated. And, and in fact, if you ever uh, were in a uh, setting with sheep that were mostly wild or feral, you would see that they will eventually shed their fleece, uh, because it's just basically grown-out hair that uh, eventually slides off the new grown-in hair, and they'll shed it, and it will come off in big sheets. And so if you took that sheet and then uh, uh, rubbed it with abrasion and moisture, eventually you would make a fabric that was durable and waterproof, and uh, you could then go out and um, shepherd your sheep in comfort. So non-yarn fabrics also have uh, ancient and wonderful history to explore. Just as a definition, uh, in the past, or you might hear me occasionally say non-woven as well, and the major uh, industrial organization that uh, internationally that works with non-yarn uh, textiles refers to them as non-woven. But I mention non-yarn because, of course, weaving isn't the only fabrication method, right? Uh, then what are what about the non-knit? Is knit a non-woven? No. So I'm saying non-yarn to indicate that we're skipping the yarn step. We're either going from fibers to fabric without going through the yarn step, or we're potentially even going from polymers to fabric without going through the yarn step. Uh, Just like uh, the tree uh, didn't make uh, any yarns on its surface, it just produced a whole sheet of material we could peel off and use as a textile. Typically, uh, non-yarn fabrics are less expensive because, well, we just skipped a whole production step uh, Spinning mills are often concentrated in certain parts of the world. And it's very interesting when we see a chart. I saw a chart like this one time when I was at a meeting on the uh, the climate change implications of cotton I was looking at water and how uh, cotton was using water. And uh, they said, well, one of the challenges with uh, keeping track of any part of the textile industry is this huge spider web of crisscrossing paths, right? So fiber could be produced in one country and then shipped uh, practically raw, uh, maybe just ginned, red and baled and shipped to an entirely different country where it is processed into yarn and then from there uh, shipped to another country where it may be uh, knitted or woven and then shipped from there to another country where it's processed and then shipped from there to another. Another country where it's actually manufactured into the final product and so if we skip that yarn step that's just two whole uh, ship shipping container trips that we don't have to make uh, we can go directly from the fiber to the fabric so it's less expensive for, for that reason uh, also because uh, the production methods to actually make it into the fabric are less difficult and less complex than weaving and knitting and for these reasons For these reasons these fabrics are considered disposable they're not disposable because they're inherently uh easier to uh get rid of right so uh you know in some cases people will say well but but uh can't they be uh recycled well not necessarily it depends on uh what they were made of or how they were produced and what materials are in them uh well won't they uh, won't they aren't they compostable Well, unfortunately, if they're strong enough to be used for an end use, they may be too strong for the um, stirring arms of the huge industrial composting facilities to actually uh, break. And they may end up clogging or jamming the the composting arms. So they they may may not actually be compostable in your average composting facility. So while technically they may be recyclable or technically they may be compostable in actual experience on the part of the, the end user, That may not be what happens. Uh, They may be considered disposable because after we're finished with them, not maybe, in most cases they're considered disposable because after we're finished with them, they can be packaged into a big uh, container at the back of the hospital facility, for example, picked up by a a specially licensed company that then drives across the state with the words medical waste on the outside and taken to a special incinerator. They're disposable because we can afford to only use them once which is a bit of a quandary. If we find ourselves in a situation where uh, we've disposed of all of the medical textiles and no more are coming. If we're in a situation where we suddenly need to use massive quantities of medical textiles that were designed to be thrown away after being used once. So there is a bit of a weakness in this um, logic that they're disposable because we can afford to dispose of them. Uh, Although They're also uh, right for being disposed of because they have a lower tenacity and lower elongation and elasticity than fabrics made with other fabrication methods. They're also stiffer. So uh, if they break while being used they can be disposed of. And I don't know how many times uh, somebody has said, you know, Oh, the elastic on this face mask has broken. And it's because they're using a disposable face mask that they're trying to use it for several days. And uh, it's, it wasn't meant to do that. And uh, uh, whereas if they had one made from a woven textile, they could have continued to use it. Now, uh, non-yarn fabrications are great uh, because they don't ravel and this means that we don't have to worry about them coming apart on the edges right so we can cut them and fabricate them and we don't have to use a special finishing method for the for the raw edges because there's nothing that's going to happen on the edge that wouldn't happen anywhere else we may see some linting and pilling this is a, a issue that we see with other textiles as well uh, more linting and pilling with knits than with wovens and we we can't dismiss it entirely from the non-yarn fabrications they do, however, have very high dimensional stability uh, because of the way in which they're created. There's no yarns that can move around and change relationship. Uh, if the fibers uh, swell and shorten a bit, they're doing so in perfect concert. And uh, to be honest, in most cases, these textiles are considered disposable enough that they're never laundered. And so an issue of changing shape during care isn't, never really comes up. Now, the absorbency of, I'm just going through the properties here, the absorbency of these textiles will vary, right, because we may have selected the textile, uh, the the fiber used in the textile specifically for absorbency. So if we're making, uh, for example, surgical draping that's being used in a setting where we want to uh, absorb uh, fluids, then uh, we'll we'll intentionally choose to have part of the non-yarn Fabric be made from something like rayon that's very absorbent, or, or maybe we have a setting where we would like to prevent uh, liquid from being um, uh, from moving from one place to another in a medical setting. Again, then we would actually go with something that had no absorbency and was potentially even hydrophobic to keep uh, the liquids from moving from one place to another to prevent seepage so really absorbency is something that we're going to choose the proper fibers which now that we know all about the different properties of different fibers we can see where depending on the end use of the particular textile the purpose that it's there for we would we would go with uh, a variety of different polymers in order to get the absorbency that we need Uh, You know, another really uh, great property of non-yarn fabrics is that they are an inexpensive way to create, uh, to handle acoustical situations. Uh, So something that is a lot of fibers, uh, kind of uh, loosely held together, can provide excellent thermal retention, which is why we use it for things like insulation, and it can also be used to provide uh, sound baffling. So the inside of your automobile, for example, has these um, uh, non-woven materials that are non-yarn materials that are inside the automobile specifically to reduce the noise uh, of of the machine to allow you to feel like you're inside a cocoon, which wasn't made of yarn, was just made of fiber so uh, that's acoustical properties are not something that's been on our list of properties previously but some of the end uses that we use uh, non-yarn fabrics for such as uh, soundproofing booths uh, such as insulation or such as baffling inside automobiles are specifically for uh, the, the materials will be chosen specifically for their acoustical properties so it's kind of interesting throw that in there uh, we can't talk about the grain per se, but you can notice when you look at pictures of non-yarn fabrics that there may be, uh, some distinguishable, f- uh, fibers on the surface. They may be oriented. So they may all kind of be going in one direction as a group, or they may be random. You may have trouble picking out the, the fibers on the surface, but there isn't really an up or a down or a lengthwise or a crosswise, anything like that we have, that we have to worry about. Well, this is a feature that actually uh, exponentially expands the efficiency that we can use these materials with. I've been busy uh, sewing my uh, clothes for the upcoming school year. Yes, I know, uh, uh, sort of old-fashioned, but, uh, you know, sometimes uh, old habits are the best habits, and... um, So I have been trying very hard to use up as many of the scraps as I can. And if I can't use them in the actual construction of the garment, I cut them into small, uh, you know, flat-sided pieces using my rotary cutter so that I can um, make things with them later. And uh, I have to pay attention to the grain, right? This is why I end up with these little scraps, right? So the the shirt I make, for example, has a bias cut uh, pieces in the back in order to give me lots of flexibility across the back of my body as I'm moving my arms and uh, I have to pay attention to which direction I'm getting the grain. But if I were making it from a non-yarn material uh, and for some reason I wasn't bothered by the lack of, of uh, resiliency and the low tenacity, I wouldn't have to worry about that. I could take the scraps and use them however because the grain wouldn't matter. Uh, and that's, So that's actually a, a great advantage for these materials in terms of, of efficiency. Well, there we go. I've gone through uh, the main properties that we see with these materials. I'm going to go ahead and talk you right through the very first one and then save all the rest for our next episode. So the very first fabric that we make from fibers, uh, and that's the whole category that I'm going to be discussing in the next podcast, uh, so fabrics made from fibers, the very first one is felt and felt is made from wool uh, or hair or fur. There's uh, a number of different animals that produce uh, some type of fiber that can be felted. And the reason it has to come from an animal is because the scales on the surface of the fiber are what actually gives it the ability to felt. So with some heat, and moisture, which causes the fibers to swell, uh, extending the scales and making them uh, more jaggedy uh, across the surface of the fiber. And then moisture, which allows the fibers to slip and slide freely. We might even add a little bit of a lubricant in there, such as uh, dish detergent or soap. And then we uh, add some pressure and agitation. So we rub them and uh, rub them together and they become tangled. And they don't just become tangled at the level of the fibers. The the scales on the surface of the fibers actually tangle up with them together. And we create these sheets of of fabric that have been felted. Uh, They can be a variety of thicknesses depending on how many layers of fibers we put in initially. I like to do something which is known as half felting. So I will lay out bats, which is what we call kind of a stack of carded wool. I'll lay out my bats uh, going lengthwise and crosswise in alternate directions to make a a square canvas. And I'll use a nice, really nice, clingy, uh, sticky wool for that. And I'll and I'll felt it just enough that it's one solid piece that I can pick up and move. And my goal there is just to get it nice and square so I'll, or rectangular. I'll work really hard to get nice sharp edges. And as soon as it's just enough that it's not going to change its shape anymore, then I'll begin to add, that's half felted. Then I'll begin to add additional fibers uh, to create a painting on the surface. I'll add fibers I've dyed that are all various colors and to create the scheme and design. Add in some curly fibers, add in some yarn. Uh, I may separately half felt something and then cut it out to be a shape and kind of applique it on top of everything else and I'll continue to add heat and um, pressure and moisture and lubrication and I'll rub it uh, and uh, uh, roll it and squeeze it and because I had the background that was half felted uh, the end result will be something that's roughly the shape even if it's a little bit smaller than I anticipated. So felting can be a wonderful and very vigorous artistic expression. Of course, in the Afghani steppes, for example, where there was a lot of shepherds, uh, they would felt an entire garment um, by laying out the bats and uh, uh, getting it started and then um, putting in sheets of of uh, resist materials. So just a, a sheet of uh, fabric or, or um, something flexible like a piece of bark that the layers of of felt couldn't uh, felt into and then put another layer on top. And so they could actually literally felt an entire coat sleeves and all by laying down a bat and then putting in this uh, resist area that would create the sleeve or the, the body of the, of the garment to give it two layers. Uh, So, um, oh, and then they would wrap the whole thing around a huge log, uh, roll it, wrap it tightly with fabric and then uh, hook the ends of the logs to chains that are dragged across the step by horses and as it bounces and and is dragged and pull it through a creek and then drag it again on the other side and it just bounces up and down the weight of the log pressing on it each time uh, you end up with something that's felted in no time what a whole fun community activity that must have been. Well, nowadays, we're not going to felt on horseback. Uh, we're not even going to felt like I did in the driveway with my with a hose and my car, um, rolling the tires back and forth across the thing I was felting. Now, we're going to felt using a method called needle punching. So this doesn't felt in the same way, uh, and this means that in fact we can felt things that don't have scales Uh, we use these large boards that have uh, layers of needles that are slightly different lengths and shapes and so just picture like a bed of nails and we take these needles and and we'll have a top layer and a bottom layer and we'll lay the bat in between the needles and uh, or we'll actually have these kind of conveyor belt situation with rollers that create the bat and then the bat is fed between these two two um, bouncing uh, beds of needles that are pressing into the bat from the top and the bottom. And what they end up doing is they entangle the fibers with each other. They're literally puncturing the fibers and breaking them and breaking them into each other and permanently tangling them. This is how we would make the baffling that's inside of the automobile or felting that we might use inside uh, acoustical, um, uh, you know, the the air handling system ducts where we might want to have a very high powered uh, uh uh, air handling system to exchange air at a, at a high rate, um, but we want to have it be quiet so that people in the uh, office building or, or um, uh, microchip factory don't know that a jet engine is what's on the roof um, running the air handling system. So we'll have this needle punched uh, material inside um, to deaden the sound. Uh, we'll put a, a, a scrim. This is optional, but a scrim would be a very loosely woven um, a sheet of material right in the middle of all of the layers of fiber. That will give it a little bit extra strength. Uh, and yeah, we'll use this for Imitation felt used for children's crafts, we'll use it for blankets, uh, can be used for carpeting, uh, especially kind of indoor-outdoor carpeting that you might see in, um, uh, you know, on the patios of sunrooms. And we'll use it for, as I mentioned before, automobiles, especially the trunk liner, right? Um, we want it to soak up any uh, chemicals that we might've stored in the trunk, and we also want to um, deaden the sound. Not because you've kidnapped somebody and have them in your trunk, right? But just because uh, the, the noise from the exterior of the car could enter the car through the through the back seat. So if the trunk is nice and, and baffled, then uh, it reduces sound in the cabin of the car. You can tell the difference between a needle-punched felt and a true felt if you look closely. Well, first thing is, a uh, true felt is only going to be made from wool. So if it says the fiber content is polyester, <laughs> it's not a true felt. It's going to be needle-punched. But if it were made from wool, or we weren't sure what the fiber content was, and we weren't allowed to light it on fire to find out, you can actually see the little needle punch holes in the surface of the needle punched felt. So that's something that you can look for if you're trying to identify whether something is worth paying true felt prices for something that might have been uh, manufactured using needle punching. Well, that's it uh, for my first discussion on Uh, non-yarn fabrics. I'll be back in the next episode to talk about more fabrics made from fibers and uh, then the final episode we'll talk about fabrics made from solutions so skip the fiber even and we'll also talk about um, natural sources of non-yarn fabrics such as leather and fur and fleece.